the road to Emmaus is the place where the disciples of Christ are hurting. It's the place where they are confused. It's the place where they are uncertain about tomorrow. It's the place they come with question after question after question. Emmaus is the place where you will hear others say, He is not here. He has risen. Emmaus is the place where we bring our doubts. Emmaus is this place, this Sunday morning, this Easter day. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. So, if you have your Bible, can you turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 24, and we're reading verses 13 to 35. You'll find it on page 1642 of the Church Bible, page 1642, Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. This takes place on Easter morning, and two disciples are heading to a village called Emmaus. And we begin at verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing Him. He asked them, 
what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. I want to begin this morning with one of my favorite humorous stories. It's a story of a man going to his doctor, and he says, Doctor, I think I'm becoming a moth. And the doctor says, A moth? Oh dear, that sounds very serious, but I'm afraid I can't really help you. I'm an internist. You may have to go and see a psychiatrist. And the man said, Doctor, thank you. Actually, I was on my way to see the psychiatrist, and I noticed your light was on. <laughs> Some of you will get that in a moment or two, but others got it. And I like that story, and it's one of my favorites because in my mind, I imagine the man, I imagine the doctor, I can see the dialogue between them, but I couldn't see the end coming. And that's why I like it. And on Easter Sunday morning, when two of the disciples left Jerusalem to walk to Emmaus, they could not anticipate what was coming. They couldn't see it had no sense of what would unfold for them. But by the end of that day, they understood this, that it is the resurrection of Christ 
where real change begins. And that day, these two disciples were to have the surprise of their adult life. Now, in order to understand all that they are going through, let me encourage you to put yourself in their position. All of the festivities and the celebrations of the previous Sunday, Palm Sunday, is now over. They had watched Jesus teach in the temple during the week. They were staggered when he was arrested on Thursday night. And then he was beaten and tortured and crucified. And the last time they saw him, his body was limp and he was dead. I don't think they got much sleep on Friday night or Saturday night. I don't imagine they ate an awful lot. But as Friday moved into Saturday, the questions would begin. And the questions would be, why him of all people? After the life he led, the miracles he conducted, the lives he impacted, those who were transformed by him, it had to end this way. Was there no other way than this? And as they began to ask those questions on Saturday into the early evening, on Saturday and Saturday night, and during the night into Sunday morning, I wonder if they asked the ultimate question. If he truly is a God of love, how on earth could he allow this to happen? If he really loved us and loved him, how could he allow this to happen? And there was no answer. And heaven was silent on Friday and Saturday, and it seemed that way on Sunday morning. And now, as they make their way towards Emmaus, they would be hurt emotionally, psychologically, drained, wounded, feeling raw and tender and sore. And as they walk along, things begin to change. But initially, they couldn't see it. Look at verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Why? I suspect if I had been Jesus that morning, the first thing I would have done is run to them and put my arms around them and embrace them and say, it's me, I'm alive, just as I said I would. Look at the holes, look at my feet, the side. I'm alive, just as I prophesied. But he doesn't. What was it that was more important than bringing comfort and affirmation and reassurance to these two disciples? What was more important than that? What was more important than taking away the pain and the doubt and the fear and the anxiety and the dejection? Jesus says, what things? And Cleopas, Cleopas, 
asks probably the most ironic question in all of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. What does Cleopas ask? Jesus said, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still. A lot of emotion here. Their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Understand what's happening here. See the significance of this. He was the only one who fully understand what had happened. And he knew that all of the plans of God from eternity past had come to fruition at the cross and on Easter Sunday morning. And Cleopas asks, don't you know what's happened? Jesus says, what things? Cleopas has this wonderful description, and he responds by saying, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be crucified to death, and they crucified him. And here it comes. Please understand what comes next. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Have you grasped the wistful, poignant longing of those words? We had hoped. We had hoped that He, Jesus of Nazareth, was God Himself who'd come to forgive us and transform us and renew us and bring intimacy with the living God. We had hoped. And now it's over. It's finished. All of the promises, all of the dreams, all of the expectations had come to nothing. He's dead. It's finished. When Jesus begins to speak to them and to draw out of them what was going on, he was seeking to make a spiritual diagnosis. What was more important than their immediate comfort? their reassurance, their encouragement, quite simply this. He wanted to know had they understood fully the wonder of the gospel. Did they fully grasp it? Did they sense it and feel it and know the reality of it? That's what was more important than their immediate comfort. That would come much later in the day, but he wanted to know did they understand the love and grace and forgiveness and mercy of God? Did they understand at the cross, at the cross, He died for their sin and was now seeking to transform them? Did they get it? And please remember, in the Middle Ancient Near East, in the days of Christ, the New Testament, the rabbis had taught. You would hear it in the temple and in the synagogue, and they would turn to the Old Testament and show those wonderful passages about a Messiah who would come, who would be God's chosen one. He would reign forever and ever. And those teachings of the Old Testament were taken and applied in a contemporary manner, and they were applied this way. When the Messiah comes, 
we, God's chosen people, the house of Israel, will become an independent nation once again. It will be like going back to the days of David and Solomon. We will throw off the yoke of Rome with all of its taxes and its customs and its burdens, and we will be an independent superpower here in the Middle East. That's what was being taught. The passages that talked of a suffering Messiah, one who would come to redeem us from our sin and to transform us and enable us to know Him and come into an intimate relationship with the living God. That was minimized and marginalized, and the political answer was held up as the Messiah's main purpose. We had hoped He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Jesus engages in conversation with them, and they say, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find His body. And they came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as they had said, but Him they did not see. Can you hear the anxiety, the doubt, the concern, the fears? How could this be? We saw him die, and now of all of this, how cruel can people be to steal his body and leave us like this? All of that is pouring out. And how does Jesus respond? Look at the passage again. What does he say? And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he took them into the Scriptures and explained what was said concerning himself. Have you ever come away from a Sunday school class or a men's group or a ladies' Bible study and thought, that passage of Scripture was just for me this morning. I really felt convicted. I really felt God speaking to me. It was crystal clear that was just for me. Can you begin to imagine what it was like to walk with Jesus those seven miles to Emmaus and have Him from the top of His head give you a Sunday school lesson? To begin with Genesis, and then in Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then into the historical books of First and Second Kings, and Chronicles, and Job, and the Psalms, and the Proverbs, and the major prophets, and the minor prophets, and just to roll it all out, I think they would be utterly mesmerized, holding on to every word as they walked and made their way through to Emmaus. A conversation took place that day. That was clear. Empathy took place that day. Dialogue was exchanged. A friendship was made. But those were not the real things. 
what mattered most was this, that He took them into the Scriptures, and He laid out for them the purposes and eternal plans of God, and He showed to them that on that Good Friday, it was love that held Him there, and the, He explained to them the love and grace and mercy of God, and He answered the question, if He truly is a God of love, how could He possibly allow it to happen when He explained He allowed it to happen because He is a God of love and grace. Friday had been, but now it was Sunday. It was Sunday, and the tomb was empty, and He laid out for them the eternal redemption of God. And understand this, he doesn't point to the resurrection as some metaphor for some symbolic higher truth. It was literal. It happened. It was physical. And He conquered hell and death and sin for us, so we wouldn't have to go through it. That's what He explained in the Scriptures that day. And notice what happens next as they come to Emmaus. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if He was going further. But they urged Him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So He went in to stay with them. And when He was at the table with them, He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it, and He gave it to them. And then then their eyes were opened, and they recognized Him. Then they recognized Him. At last, the penny finally dropped. They got it. And notice what they did next. Cleopas looks at his friend and says, I knew it. There was something suspicious about him. I thought I recognized something. Is that what happens? No. They looked at each other and said, did not our hearts burn within us when He opened the Scriptures to us while we walked together on the road? Did not our hearts burn within us? And they understood at last the message of the gospel and the fulfillment of God's eternal plan and His amazing grace and love for them. And they get up immediately, and they run back to Jerusalem. Now, if in the last five minutes your mind has wandered, you've been thinking about events later today and family time, let me encourage you, please, to come right back for these closing words. And if you remember nothing this morning, please remember this. Archaeologists and New Testament scholars don't know exactly where Emmaus is. There are three possible sites. One has more credence than the others, but they couldn't immediately put their finger on a map this morning and say, unquestionably, it's there. But this morning, I want to tell you exactly where Emmaus is. The road to Emmaus 
is the place where the disciples of Christ are hurting. It's the place where they are confused. It's the place where they are uncertain about tomorrow. It's the place they come with question after question after question. Emmaus is the place where you will hear others say, He is not here. He has risen. Emmaus is the place where we bring our doubts. Emmaus is this place, this Sunday morning, this Easter day, when He takes us into the Scriptures, and we are able to say, did not our hearts burn within us when He opened the Scriptures to us? And this morning, as you leave, leave because of an empty tomb with hearts that are full and bursting and overflowing and knowing that on Friday He died for your sin, and on Sunday He rose in order that you might come to know Him and have intimacy with Him. That's Emmaus. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this incredible passage of Scripture. It speaks to us so powerfully. Father, forgive us for the days we have sinned against You. Forgive us when we take Your death and resurrection for granted. Take us, please, from this place this morning rejoicing in all that Christ has accomplished for us. Awaken, renew, refresh your hearts and souls this day so that we can say, Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year. Also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education. Uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children, I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. 
I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We are situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us.